This podcast is supported by Americans for Medical Progress through the Michael D. Hare Fellowship, awarded annually to support projects that inform and educate the public about the critical role of animal research in furthering medical progress. This fellowship honors the late Dr. Michael Hare, a renowned board-certified laboratory animal veterinarian who dedicated his career to scientific and medical advancements and who is deeply committed to animal welfare and advocacy. In this fourth episode of Lab Rat Chat, Danielle and I had the fantastic opportunity to talk with the senior director at ALAC International, Dr. Helen Diggs. You all really need to listen closely to this one, not that you shouldn't for all of our other episodes as well, as Dr. Diggs lays out in detail the extensive, voluntary accreditation process institutions go through in order to tell the world that their facility goes above and beyond the minimum standards in place for laboratory animal care and use. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this fourth episode of Lab Rat Chat. This is the fourth episode of Lab Rat Chat, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Helen Diggs from ALAC International, who's gratefully taking the time out of her day speak with us on this podcast and tell us about how she's involved in the world of lab animal medicine and animal research. Welcome to the show, Dr. Diggs. Thank you, Jeff. Hello. And thank you for this invitation and thank you for including ALAC International in your program. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on. And just to get things started, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Well, before attending veterinary school, I was a high school teacher in Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost city of the United States. And to pass some of the long, dark, cold hours, I volunteered at the Naval Arctic Research Laboratory on weekends and holidays. It was an amazing introduction to veterinary medicine. They cared for wild, a wide variety of species, of wolves, lemmings, a polar bear, Arctic foxes, Pervilof foxes. And they studied diseases that are widespread in the Alaskan animal population, such as rabies and human health concerns like botulism due to poor food storage conditions. And as you might imagine, health concerns related to freezing temperatures without realizing it at the time, that incredible experience also introduced me to the field of research medicine and science and the veterinary specialty of laboratory animal medicine. How did you get involved with ALAC? The Alaskan experience certainly informed my decisions during veterinary school. For my externships, I gravitated to research programs. And as it turned out, the words ALAC and ALAC accredited immediately became part of my lexicon as all the programs I encountered were proudly ALAC accredited. ALAC became equivalent in my mind to exceptional animal care. In uh, 1994, I was asked to join ALAC as an ad hoc consultant. Ad hoc consultants are professionals knowledgeable in animal research who assist the council members with program site visits. In 2006, I was asked to join the Council on Accreditation. I served as a council member for almost 12 years. And one year ago today, this month actually, I was given the honor of joining the ALAC office as a senior director. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about the role of ALAC? ALAC International believes that all animals should receive appropriate care and humane treatment. Thus, 
ALAC International promotes the responsible treatment and care of animals used in science through a voluntary, rigorous assessment and accreditation program. We accredit programs based on peer review published standards, national and local regulations, and professional judgment. The expectation, of course, is that programs will maintain excellence. This is dependent upon continuing education, resulting ideally in continuous program improvement. Accredited programs are re-site visited by ALAC every three years. And maybe you could elaborate a little more on your current role as the Senior Director for ALAC International? My role as an ALAC International Senior Director is oversight of the education and outreach effort. I help train council members and ad hoc consultants, the professionals who conduct the site visits, and provide or facilitate continuing education activities for accredited programs, council members, ad hocs, and the public. I also participate in a program called Program Status Evaluation, or PSE. This is a pre-ALAC site visit. The PSE is a completely confidential peer review that helps assess the quality of all aspects of an animal research program. PSE can help validate a program and also serves as the first step toward achieving ALAC accreditation. For more details, if listeners are interested, they can go to our website at www.alac.org. And I'll include in the show notes for the episode links for any listeners out there interested in going to ALAC's website. I'll include that link in the show notes for easy access, although it's a pretty easy website to begin with. Thank you. And I wish I would have known about that program status evaluation. We did our own pre-ALAC site visits, you know, internal kind of things, but that would have been nice to take advantage of for sure. And then if you could, just for our listeners to kind of understand what these facilities and institutions go through in order to obtain this voluntary ALAC accreditation, could you just describe the general process that they... Submit themselves to? Right. Their general process to get in their accreditation, if you would. Well, it begins with a program description, which we call the PD. So institutions prepare what is a self-evaluation. It is a detailed defined review of their program components. After the PD is submitted, the unassigned council member begins discussions with the contacts for that program. The council member is the leader of the site visit and selects the site visit team from an ad hoc pool. There are about 400 people in that pool. Selection of the team is specific to the program. So if you are an agricultural program or you have a lot of aquatics in your program, aquatic species in your program, or you have certain types of research areas, the ad hocs are selected with expertise in those areas. Once selected, the team carefully reads that program description and the program's history prior to the visit. And then there is a site visit. And there's an entrance briefing and there are facility visits. All facilities where animals are housed and used are visited. There's a document review session and then there's an exit briefing where the team's initial impressions and findings are shared. The post-site visit communication is the next piece of this and that is after the site visit, 
And the PSVC, as we call it, is a written response of actions taken pertaining to the site visit findings. Uh, multiple council members review and discuss that site visit communication and the Council on Accreditation, who meet three times a year, deliberate and then vote on site visit outcomes for that trimester. The ALAC International Board of Directors affirms those outcomes. And then, after all of that, the conclusions and recommendations, or what we call the CNR letters, are prepared and sent by the ALAC office to the program designee announcing the outcome. The outcomes include continued full accreditation or award full accreditation if it's a new program. Those are, of course, the outcomes you would like to have. And then there are other options if problems must be resolved. Won't go into all of those. From the time an institution begins working on that program description to the time they receive that CNR letter could be a year or more. Oh, wow. What does it mean for an institution to obtain this accreditation? Like, why would an institution want to go through this lengthy process and write program description and put all this effort into something that's voluntary? That is a great question. ALAC accredited institutions are fully committed to the highest standard of ethical and humane animal care. ALAC's periodic external assessment assures the institution and the public that they are remaining diligent and maintaining a high level of excellence. Accredited institutions understand that meritorious, responsible science depends on superb, consistent animal care. Also, ALAC accredited institutions that share and publish research data minimize the potential risk of confounding program-related variables, such as temperature range excursions, inconsistent light cycles, contaminated or stale feed, irregular behavioral management, uh, husbandry anomalies, and other issues that may result in spurious research outcomes. ALAC accreditation ensures quality animal care and scientific validity. How many accredited institutions are there currently? There are over a thousand ALAC international accredited programs in 49 countries. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised. That's a lot. That's great that that many institutions are taking this on. Because like you said, like you just described earlier, it's quite the process and a lot of work on these institutions and on your part to get out there and do the site visits and all that. Right. Our numbers keep growing, which indicates that institutions are very interested in being part of this group. So for the next question, could you just talk a little bit about some of the findings that are most commonly discovered during the ALAC site visit and the process for accreditation? ALAC maintains a trends database that allows us to track finding changes over time and thus recognize hot spots, if you would. Uh, this is one of ALAC's self-assessment tools. So your question is, what is trending? The most common findings are related to animal environment and occupational health and safety issues. So under animal environment, there are two frequent findings, social management and environmental enrichment. Social housing is considered by ALAC International as the default method of housing for social species, unless otherwise justified based on social incompatibility, veterinary concerns, of course, 
or scientific necessity. And then if single housing is justified, additional enrichment should be offered to those animals. So under occupational health and safety, there are also two frequent findings. One is personnel protection and the other is workplace safety. Ensuring personnel safety, I think we can all agree, is critical for every program. Yeah, you know, we've actually talked a lot about the care of the animals on this podcast, but I think it's also important that there's a lot that goes into caring for the people who are caring for the animals. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So I assume you've been on a lot of these um, site visits, and I was wondering if you had any stories about institutions that maybe have gone even further above and beyond um, to provide excellent animal care. Could be new, exciting enrichment or different housing ideas and kind of what you've seen over uh, your time with ALAC International. I'm always amazed by the thoughtful and clever innovations programs make to safeguard the welfare of their animals, especially in modifications to housing structures that ensure species-specific physical activity, behavior, and social contact. I see primary enclosure size modifications, tunnels and ladders between enclosures, play cages and exercise yards, swings, hideouts protected contact panels, enhancements of the environmental enrichment program also catch my eye. Examples I've seen include volunteers who groom and exercise certain species and all types of food and treat delivery systems. One example I'll share with you is rats love peas. So putting peas in water dishes for them and then letting them fish them out is quite a hit. This is also known as bobbing for peas. That's very interesting. I would not have thought of them as being a a pea-loving little creature. I like that. We're going to have to try that one. I know. Rats are great pets. Such creativity is heartwarming. It inspires the staff and it spreads among our programs. I've worked at a few labs in my short career. I think I've been in this field for maybe 12 years now. But I'm always impressed that some facilities actually have dedicated staff members solely to enrichment and just providing extra for the animals. And I think it's great investment that that institution is going to make to just have someone dedicated for that reason. Yes, absolutely. The answer to that question was really great. And it's something that we've just been trying to drive home to the listeners, just how compassionate people in this field are and how they take it to the next level to make sure that these animals are well cared for and happy in their enclosures and always have something to do and entertain themselves, if you will, in their cages or in their enclosures. We also decided we like the word enclosure more than cages. We on our first episode, Danielle came up with that. And I kinda like it too. The cages does kinda kinda have that dark metal like I guess in a damp basement kind of environment, you know. Bad connotation. Yeah. Although they are cages, but enclosure just sounded so much nicer. So throughout this process, what happens to a program when there are findings during a site visit? So there are two types of findings given at a site visit suggestions for improvement and mandatory findings. With a suggestion for improvement, the program is encouraged to consider an upgrade to an already acceptable or even commendable program. A mandatory finding is a deficiency that must be corrected for full accreditation to be awarded or continued. These are typically significant animal welfare, or as we just discussed, significant human safety-related issues. 
to follow up on that, the findings are responded to by the program contacts in what we call the post-site visit communication and reviewed for completeness by the council on accreditation during their triennial deliberations. In your experience, what makes a program successful? Hmm. In my years, I have been associated with over seven large and multiple small programs and done many, many ALAC site visits of institutions. I would say without a doubt that an effective program necessitates high-level oversight, responsibility, and leadership by three collaborating institutional components. The institutional official, typically the CEO or president, who is ultimately responsible for the program, the attending veterinarian who is responsible for the health and well-being of the research animals and all veterinary aspects of the program, and the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee, the IACUC, who review and approve protocols and assess and oversee the facilities and the animal program. Ongoing cooperation and partnership among these components is essential for success. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And lastly, kind of towards the end of our question list here, what do you think the public should know regarding animal research if you had, you know, a couple of points you would like to tell them? I would like the public to know that those of us who work in animal research care deeply about animals' well-being. Animal research studies are only approved and undertaken when there are no non-animal alternatives. The use of animals in research is highly regulated. When animal use is necessary, studies are performed humanely and ethically. And the use of animal models results in medical progress that saves lives, human lives and the lives of our pets. That's a very good point. We've uh, touched on the human lives as well as the lives of our pets in prior episodes, too, because I think people forget that even when you take your dog to the vet, that had to start somewhere. And we can thank our beloved research animals for helping us advance medicine. Right. My cat right now is on chemotherapy for lymphoma. Oh. And if it were not for medical research, that would not be happening for my pet. Is there any other points that you might want to discuss? I think we've sort of hit on our main topics that we like to talk to all of our guests about. I do want to bring up one thing. It wasn't among any of your questions. I want to mention the search for alternatives and alternative methods. The search for alternatives is an ongoing commitment of healthcare professionals and scientists, alternatives to the use of animals in research, I I want to mention that in 1959, William Russell and Rex Burke wrote a book called Principles of Humane Experimental Technique. And in that book, they introduced the three R's. And the three R's are replacement, reduction, and refinement. And replacement is a, a system that does not include the use of living animals. A reduction is an any strategy that results in the use of less animals, and refinement is modifications that minimize discomfort and enhance animal well-being. And the three R's are incorporated into many aspects of our programs, including the protocol review forms. You will hear the word the three R's, and so I just wanted to bring that up 
to the listeners as well is a very, very important and significant aspect of our work. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We may have touched on this in a previous episode, but I, I feel like there's almost a push for sort of a fourth R at this point with rehoming of research animals that are able to be adopted out after their time in the lab, if that's an option for them. That could be. I have a question for you, Dr. Diggs, just kind of thinking about it. It was towards the end of my time at my last institution before I went back to school. And we've talked about the different animals, species, and different animal models that are covered under the different rules and regulations and under ALAC standards. And I think towards the end of my time there, there was starting to be a push into ALAC overseeing cephalopods like squid. Is that something that institutions need to start considering as well when they're writing their program description or going through the accreditation process? Because like I know it like our European counterparts. The European counterparts do have regulations for cephalopods, which would include octopus and squid. And I think the push toward this was probably initiated by the octopus, which is one of those animals that just has a very amazing ability and awareness. And so we're all very sensitive to that. ALAC has incorporated an oversight of cephalopods. There are no regulations around it, but when we go into programs, if they are using cephalopods in their program, we do want to know that they have some basic oversight of those animals and the care and uh, housing and feeding of those animals. So we are, we have moved into that. Yeah, that's great. And even though my last institution, they did have squid. And at the time, you know, like you said, it's not covered under regulations or laws or even ALAC wasn't really taking a deep look at them at the time, but they were still treated just like any other animal in the laboratory and held by the institution to the same standards. Continuing improvement is what we want. Okay. um, Well, I think, Danielle, did you have any other questions or Dr. Diggs, did you have any other points that you'd like to make before we kind of get into a couple housekeeping points here? I think that was it for me. I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, that's all I had, Jeff. I'm really uh, excited about the new things that even I learned from uh, speaking with Dr. Diggs. I do want to tell our listeners, remind our listeners about our $100 Amazon gift card giveaways we're going to be doing. We Again, we have five of those gift cards. Just leave a review, a comment for this show, either through iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, however you're listening to it, and you'll be entered into that drawing and we'll randomly select the winners of that and announce them on the podcast or through our social media account. Our Twitter account is at the Librat Chat. If you want to get in touch with us there, please do. And our email is libratchat at gmail.com. So thank you all again for listening. And thank you, Dr. Diggs, for joining us today and providing all this wealth of information for our listeners. You're very welcome. All right, guys. I'll talk to you next time on Librat Chat. Librat Chat.